Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Amen. We are a blessed people, aren't we? We are a blessed church and we have been blessed with a wonderful music ministry. Makes it easy for me to preach the word of the Lord. Do you know worship and the preaching of the gospel go hand in hand? Think of it this way. If any of you have ever had a surgical procedure, when you finally arrive at the day of the operation, the doctor does what once you're prepped and ready? They apply anesthesia. Can you imagine having a procedure without anesthesia? there would be great opposition from you as a patient to the surgeon's knife, right? And worship, think of it spiritually this way as an analogy. It is spiritual anesthesia from God to remove any resistance in the heart, any opposition to what God has to say for your life, for my life, for our lives. So that then when the Word of God comes forth, We have been prepared for our Savior's spiritual scalpel to take and to make us even that much more healthy in our walk with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So never wait until the worship is over. See, then we'll go in. Some people, they say, well, I just want the worship. Then I'll even go home and not hear the word. That's just getting your spiritual high, but no transformation, right? But we need both in our lives. Praise the Lord. Well, did you have a great Thanksgiving? I know mine was wonderful. We trade years with our in-laws, so this was our off year with our kids. They were their in-laws. So we had dear friends over our house, different individuals that we felt to invite and to sit at our table, and we had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time of fellowship and then eating as well. Now, regarding the eating, doesn't the dinner the next day seem to taste that much more savory? I mean, the juices and the spices have an opportunity to marinate and and just to soak through, and it's like that next day and even the day after, it's like having Thanksgiving all over again, only with benefits. What do you mean benefits, Pastor? I mean the turkey sandwiches. I mean the turkey soup. I mean the turkey casserole and more. Think about that. God is a God of more. That's why I refer from a spiritual perspective with today's message that just as we look for more after the Thanksgiving dinner or any meal is complete, to go a second time to the table and have more, spiritually, God wants to do the same thing. He wants us to have more. This is what I call a double portion. How many of you would like a double portion from God today? A double portion on your family, your life, your health, your resources, your walk, and your relationship with Him. God is the God, not a God, because there's only one God. God is the God of the double portion. 
Spiritually, God wants to fill and refill our plates over and over again. That's why one of his names in Scripture is what? El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. And we see this in the text we're going to be looking at this morning. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 9, two verses, verses 11 and 12. The Spirit of God speaks through the prophet and he says this, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Remember that word. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. Holy Spirit, anoint me, flow through me, give me clarity of thought and speech. I pray that you would pour on these people in house and online the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they would understand and receive and be transformed even more into your image by the word of the Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In your presence, it's done. Amen and amen. We live in a fallen world. It's very easy to recognize that. When you turn on the TV, you drive down the road. Those of you in our congregation who are a part of law enforcement, you understand that this is a very difficult time now to live. But there's always been sin. It just seems that we're seeing more and more as time progresses, progresses an escalation of conflict. Look at the moral depravity. Look at the physical and emotional illnesses. It, it seems like even with all the technological breakthrough, there's new diseases producing themselves. And honestly, that's in Scripture. When the Scripture talks about in the last days, there will be pestilence. Pestilence actually deals and is better translated as diseases. And so we're seeing an increase of that even though we seem to enlarge our resources. It just won't go away. Then there's the mental illness when you see people on the streets, the homeless, some of them so broken by life. It just seems as if the depravity is just enlarging its borders. What about the social conflict? Addictive behaviors. More and more because they can't make the issue of drugs a no longer issue. They began just to legalize this and that. Learn to live with it. Why? Because apart from God, you'll never change an addictive lifestyle. All that happens is people begin to put band-aids on the bigger problem while the wound underneath continues to fester and infection enlarges. It's obvious to see we live in a fallen world. And now, as if that isn't enough, this downward spiral continues. And why do you think that is? Because apart from Almighty God, there is no lasting. There may be a temporary restoration, but there is no lasting restoration, which in turn becomes a short-term solution, a quick fix. And when that happens, people lose hope. When that happens, the plot just enlarges, it thickens, and people become more and more hopeless. Despair fills their minds. People then 
frustrated, don't know what to do, and so they turn to other options to find comfort, to find peace, just for a moment, because it seems like everything they're facing just won't go away. And when this transpires, this is what leads people, this is what Satan uses to lead people into my first point, the prison. The prison. The devil has many prisons prepared for those who leave God out of their lives. The devil has many prisons prepared for those who know the Lord, but don't follow the principles of God for their lives. And the moment we remove God out of our life, His principles, His ways out of our life, it makes us susceptible, it makes us vulnerable to the enemy to take us to His substitute. And that's why sin always has a consequence. The Apostle Paul in Galatians says we reap what we sow, whether spiritually to the things of God or when we leave God out and we're going against His commands, His ways, and His will. There is a consequence for that as well. Look at what Zechariah chapter 9, verse 11. The Spirit of the Lord says this, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. What is this waterless pit? We see that the prophet is saying that sin puts people in a spiritual prison that he references as a waterless pit. And so when you see this prison, how does it demonstrate? How does it hold people captive? What are the effects of it? Why is it such an impossibility for people to break free? We see the world using every resource at their disposal, but yet more and more, God is being pushed out of the equation. And then the whole plot begins to increase, and, and the walls become thicker, the bars become firm, set in place, and people cry out, all I want is a moment of peace, all I want is a moment of freedom, but I feel that I am tracked, trapped within this prison. So what does the prophet mean when he draws the analogy of a waterless pit and a prison? Look at Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 6. Here the scriptures refer to him as the weeping prophet. He was a man of God that was honorable and faithful to the Lord. But the message he had to bear was a message of repentance. And whenever a message of repentance goes out from a man or woman of God, it's not always met with receptivity, but resistance happens. And as he was speaking to the people of Israel, they didn't want to hear it. In fact, they arrested him, imprisoned him, because they didn't want to hear the message God was speaking through the man of God. And so now, with that in mind, look at our text. So they took Jeremiah, cast him into the dungeon of Malachiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire or mud. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. A waterless pit is a well that has gone dry. The aqueducts have closed. It's no longer producing fresh water. And all that is left at the very bottom of this very deep well, the very bottom of this pit, is the mud and the residue from where a well once produced water. 
So when they go dry, rather than go down to that depth again and start the digging process, virtually impossible, they just dig new wells that produce water. So what do you do with the wells that have gone dry? They turn them into a waterless pit or a prison. It's an actual holding place. There's no doors to it. There's only one way in, from the top down. There are no bars where people could climb out. The way the well is shaved, there's no place for them to really gain a foothold to make their way of escape. And if there was, because of all of the mud, the mire, and the muck at the bottom of the well, the feet become so slippery, it's virtually impossible to scale and climb out. No footing is possible. So when they would take and have someone, and this obviously within the palace of the king's son, this was a well that fed that whole palace, that brought hydration and water and refreshment. And so when it ran out of producing water, they just made it another part of the palace where they would hold prisoners captive. And that's where they threw Jeremiah. There was no way of escape out of a waterless pit without someone's assistance. Isn't this what happened also? Joseph, the son of Jacob. Remember Joseph in his coat of many colors. He was beloved by his father but despised by his brothers with the exception of Benjamin who came later. And so here you take and, and, and you see the favor of the father because Joseph was an obedient son. Joseph was always looking for the smile of his dad so he sought to live in obedience whatever his father would ask. The father could trust him. The father could depend on him. He was never a, a boy and then young man that, that allowed himself to get into peculiar situations that could provoke suspicion or even evil. So even more so now, all of the brothers felt like the black sheep of the family. So one day when they couldn't take it any longer because Joseph shared about a dream that God had brought to him, they grabbed their brother, they plotted within their hearts to kill him. So here they pull him together, but rather than take his life at that moment, they thought, we'll come back and do that later. So what did they find? They found a dried up well, a waterless pit, there where they were tending the sheep and the flocks. And so they threw Joseph. They didn't lower him down with ropes like they did with Jeremiah in the text I read a moment ago. They actually threw him into the well and left him there. Now, before the other brothers could come back and kill him, one of the brothers returned secretly before the others, got Joseph out of the well, but rather than bring him back to his father, he sold his brother into slavery to a Midianite caravan that was passing through so that Joseph's blood would not be on their hands. Joseph then was taken to Egypt. He became a slave. Later, he was accused of something he didn't do. He became a prisoner in the jail of Pharaoh himself. And so all that he knew was despair. Joseph had never disobeyed God. And when I, I say that, I don't say he was perfect. But he was a, a young man, and that's exceptional for a young man that wants to honor God. He had his character flaws. He had his issues, like any other boy or girl that's being raised by their parents. But he loved God. And so he had done nothing to deserve this other than his immaturity. 
And so here he is now in a situation where he is going through for a period of 13 years tremendous turmoil. He was brokenhearted. He was abandoned by his, his, his family. He was misrepresented. He was lied about. And all as he did was try to do the best he could for his dad and his God. But rather than choose to get bitter, if you go and choose to read that story, you'll find that Joseph always maintained his commitment to God. Even as a young, healthy man being tempted by a woman who had a spirit of lust upon her and inappropriate intentions towards this young Hebrew virgin, he still honored God by fleeing that opportunity. He loved the Lord, but rather than cho choosing to get bitter, he always remembered the Lord. And that, that is something that's a sermon in and of itself. But I've said all that to say how no one was able to rescue Joseph from all of the slavery and the imprisonment. Not even Joseph, who had the favor of God on his life, could talk his way out of this. But God. Amen? But God. But God. No one but God could rescue him. And we know the rest of the story, how the Lord came through, and he became the second most powerful man in the world, a prince of Egypt. So let me ask this question. Do you feel like you've been thrown into a waterless pit? Do you feel like you've been misrepresented? You've been abandoned? You've been broken by life? Your well is empty. You feel like you have nowhere else to turn. You don't know what to do. And you're about to lose all hope because there's nowhere to turn. If so, like Jeremiah. If so, like Joseph. If so, then the first thing that needs to be done is it's time to face the stronghold. Pastor, what do you mean? Face the stronghold. That's what Zechariah says under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Return to the stronghold. Face the stronghold. Do you know every stronghold in our lives and strongholds that are not good, they're destructive, they, they are limiting, you know, every stronghold that may be in our lives, all of them can be traced back to one of three things or maybe all three. The first are unmet needs, which leave people empty. And then with these unmet needs, there's always the hurts that are unhealed that leave people wounded. And then there are the unresolved issues which leave people dysfunctional if those issues go unattended to. And this is when Satan comes in with his counterfeit alternatives to present his solution for all of the pain, all of the issues, everything you're dealing with as an alternative coping skill so that you can find that peace, you can find that joy, you can find those relationships at any cost but whenever Satan provides an alternative, it always goes in contradiction to God's principles. And then when we have all of these issues and then compounding inappropriate, unhealthy coping skills to try and find the peace, it just compounds everything within us. And that's why we see so much dysfunctionality, so much pain, so much hatred, 
anger, frustration, the road rage now that's happening, the gun issues, the more you leave God out as a nation and rulers of a nation as well as the people within the nation, the worse things will get. That's just a fact. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. We are seeing it now, especially when people want to take and remove the Christ from Christmas. Why the celebration? Satan is threatened by anything that represents Jesus. That's why everything he provides is Christless. Christless. Leaving people then desperate for anything and anyone that will fill the void, heal the hurt, and resolve the issues. And do you know what all of these alternatives become? They actually become the prison guards that surround the stronghold. All of these issues, all of the habits, they are prison guards keeping the people at the bottom of the waterless pit. Speaking incessantly. Don't even try. You'll never change. There's no hope for you. This is your this is what you've been dealt in life. Learn to live with it. Do you know God doesn't want us coexisting with all of the pain? He doesn't want us, want us to learn how to live in the waterless pit. He actually sent his only son to provide a way out of the prison, of the waterless pit, from the strongholds. Some of you may be saying, well, what's that way of escape? Well, the way of escape is Jesus. But we find in our text where the Spirit of God references this when he says in verse 9, Zechariah 9, 12, return to the stronghold. Now, if you're already in the stronghold, why do you need to return to it? What the Spirit of God is dealing with are the issues that we carry within us that led to the stronghold that led to the prison, that led to the dysfunctionality, and there within that waterless pit, that prison, are all of the strongholds that made us vulnerable to go that direction. So to return to the stronghold means this, to break free from that stronghold, you must face it. You must face the issues. You must face the, the hurts. You must face all of those things that cause you to choose unwisely. And that means we have to ask the Holy Spirit, search me like David said in the Psalms and see if there's any wicked way in me. He prayed that word after his sin with Bathsheba. And he said, Lord, what was it that made me vulnerable to this? What was it that opened the door for me to commit this awful sin in your eyes, not only the sin of adultery, but the sin of murder taking Uriah the Hittite her husband, making sure he was placed in the front lines in the heat of battle so his life would come to an end so that I could protect my reputation as king, knowing that his wife Bathsheba was with child, but just not my child. David said, search my heart, and if you feel like you're in a prison, you're contained in a stronghold, you've made some unwise choices in your lifetime, that have brought consequences. There is a way out from that pit, but that means you've got to face the issues. What was it that brought me to this point? 
Once you recognize your helplessness and cry out to God, then that's when the door opens and the chain breaker and the miracle maker can work on your behalf. How many of you want the chain breaker and the miracle worker, Jesus Christ, to work on your behalf? I guess about seven of you. I said, how many of you want the chain breaker and the miracle maker to work on your behalf? Come on, let me hear it. Jesus is the only one who can release you. He's the only one who can release you from the stronghold of your waterless pit. When Jesus came, I, I, I love what he said in John 10.10. Many of you probably have this memorized, but I'll, I'll read it for the benefit of others. Jesus said, the thief, referencing Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come. See, Satan has one agenda. Jesus has another. another. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Who is the they he's speaking of? It's the same individuals that Jesus references in John 3, 16. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, or he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The whosoever's are the they. That's you. That's me. That's those who are made in his image. Humanity, mankind, from the beginning to the end of time. Jesus came so that people, those created in his image, those that he loves beyond words, that's why he put his words into action. Love is a verb, and he died on the cross. He brought practicality. He demonstrated love when he died for the world. And because of that, the abundance that Jesus promised when he was speaking to the religious leaders is that double portion that he desires for you, for me, for all of you who are worshiping online. God does not want you to coexist with lack. He doesn't want you to coexist and learn how to live with your dysfunctionality. He wants to provide that way of escape, that total deliverance, freedom once and for all. That's who he is. If we're made in his image, God doesn't want his image broken. He doesn't want our mind and emotions shattered because of life. He doesn't want us living in the past because of bad decisions. God says there's life after failure. And that's what Jesus Christ made possible. And if we're so consumed with our mistakes and our failure, we'll just keep making more mistakes, producing more failures. There's a way that seems right to people. That's what Scripture says. But in the end, it brings death and destruction. Jesus came. To provide that double portion. Let him meet your needs. Let him heal your hearts. And let him resolve your issues. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus Christ is, my next point, the restoration. No situation is beyond God's restoration. So what are you facing? Is this a health issue, a financial issue, a marital issue? What is it? A legal issue? Whatever you're facing, no situation is beyond God's restoration. We see that again in our text. Look at Zechariah 9, 12. Look at what the Spirit of God commands through the prophet, the people to do. He says, return to the stronghold. Now listen to this. He says, you prisoners of hope. Sounds like an oxymoron. You're a prisoner, yet there's hope. 
See, what the Spirit of God is really saying here is when we commit our lives, we face the issues, we return to the stronghold. We deal with it. Whatever, open the door. We deal with the abandonment, and the, the pain, the guilt, whatever it is that we've carried, whether we experienced in innocence or by directive choice. We go and we deal with it, we face it, we repent of it, we take steps to turn from it, and when we do that, we will go from being a prisoner of hopelessness to becoming a prisoner of hope. With God, there's always hope, but hope not that defines this way. Well, I hope it works out. I hope you'll be okay. I hope you have a safe trip. That word hope in the Scripture actually means a confident expectation. So when you say, I hope, things will be okay. You're actually saying, I have a confident expectation. Haven't seen it yet. Hasn't come to pass yet. But I have this confident expectation because I'm a prisoner of hope and the Lord of hope is Jesus himself. So I have this confident expectation that it's going to be okay. It's going to work out. God will show himself again faithful. Faithful. How many of you want to be a prisoner of hope? Hallelujah. Then face your stronghold. Instead of your stronghold eyeing you down, intimidating you, you become the greatest intimidation that the gates of hell have ever experienced. The third person of the Trinity lives with us as Christians. That means God himself is within us. And if he indwells us, and the word of God says he does, the moment we pray the prayer of salvation, then that means every time the devil looks at us, he sees God. So let's let God out of the box and fight on our behalf. Amen? Amen. Begin to speak the words he speaks. Hallelujah. Become a prisoner of hope. Praise the Lord. Hope has the ability to open prison doors. Did you know that? That which would be impossible. Well, we have that confident expectation. Prison doors open. Paul and Silas were in prison for preaching the gospel. They began to sing hymns. Why? Because they had hope. And what happened? God sent an earthquake. The prison doors opened. Hope has the power to open the door to your prison so that you can get out. It's amazing what can happen when we put God at the helm. That's why the apostle Peter in his epistle, he refers to Jesus as what? The living hope. So we don't put our confidence in a dead hope, but he's alive. When he resurrected from the dead, hope was fulfilled. In fact, there was no one expecting his resurrection except God the Father. And all of the angelic hosts, they were waiting for the Father to stand. And just as Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. All of heaven was waiting for the Father to stand and say, Jesus, my son, in whom I was well pleased, come out of the grave. Hallelujah. And it happened. Jesus expected to come out of the grave. Why do you think he was willing to go to the extreme, the death of the cross? He had never been there. This had never happened before. But he had a confident expectation. He was a prisoner of hope because the Father was his ultimate goal. I desire nothing but to speak his words and to do his deeds. Isn't that what he said? 
praise God, a prisoner of hope. Hope opens prison doors. Peter says he is a living hope. Jesus went to prison for you so that we could walk out of our prisons. He took the penalty. He took the bondage. He took every aspect of sin in his own body, yet without ever committing sin. And when he rose from the dead, he went from the grave to his throne in glory. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a tradition. We don't serve, you know, golden mythology stories like the Greeks were infamous for. We serve a risen Savior. Amen? That is what makes us a prisoner of hope. Praise the Lord. And guess what? We have his promise that he will fulfill his word on our behalf. Zechariah 9, 12 says, I will restore, what's it say? Double. I will restore double to who? Everyone but you? Look at the person next to you and say, he's going to give you double. Tell him, I will restore double to you. I will means it's absolute, it's guaranteed. Restore means also defined from the Hebrew to repair, mend, or give back. So what you've lost, what the enemy has stolen from you, God's going to give it back double. I like that. That means when the enemy looks at us, we're double trouble. Amen. <laughs> Look at the person next to you and say, you're double trouble. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Look at the life of Job. He had gone through such tribulation. His sons were killed. He lost his finance. Everything was stripped from him. His wife judged him. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, that's good counsel. Not. In fact, she probably was hoping he would die so she could find someone else with the same resource that Job used to have so she could start over and gain back that type of living she had become accustomed to. But Job never once, even when his friends came and judged him and said, there's sin in your life. Yet the word says Job was righteous in the eyes of God. And Job maintained his hope even when he found himself in this type of waterless pit. He honored God. And then one day, during the midst of all of that hardship, he began to pray for those that had judged him and spoke against him. And look at what the outcome of that was in Job 42, verse 10. The Lord restored Job's losses. What did the Lord do? He restored his losses. When he prayed for his friends. Job was wise because in praying for his friends, that protected his heart from having an unresolved issue. Bitterness, judgments, you know, just a vendetta. You know, one day you'll get your due. When we hold all of that in, it makes us a prisoner of Satan. It says he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Double portion. I like this concept of a double portion. How about you? See, God not only gave Job a double portion, but others in Scripture received the same thing. Joseph, King David, Elisha the prophet, when you look at him, the successor of Elijah, one day Elijah, because this was his top student, Elisha was Elijah's top student. So Elijah wanted to reward him, and he said, ask whatever you want. Once I depart, 
Whatever you desire, it will be given to you from God. So Elisha prayed for a double portion of what Elijah had. Elijah said, you're asking a difficult thing, but he didn't say it was impossible. But if you're here to witness with your own eyes, when God takes me into his presence, my mantle will be passed on to you. Well, Elijah was followed by Elisha after that statement everywhere he went. He would not leave Elijah out of his sight at any moment. And then one day, when the chariot of fire, the chariot of God came down and took Elijah into the presence of God, Elisha was there. And he didn't take his eyes off of Elijah even as he ascended into the heavens. He cries out and he said, Lord, Remember me. I'm here. And then, as God is always faithful, that mantle, that cloak that Elijah wore around his shoulders came down, and Elijah, Elisha grabbed it. Then, all of the other 50 prophets that he was in charge of were looking to him for direction, looking to him for, for, for orders. And Elisha says, follow me. First act that happened, he waved that mantle over the Jordan River, and it split in half, and they walked through on dry ground. Hallelujah. And do you know Scripture records that Elisha did double of all the miracles that Elijah did during his lifetime? That's pretty spectacular. Double portion. All of those who honored God and many others, they refused to give up on the Lord, and God honored them with a double portion. In closing, God wants to give you a double portion. God wants to rescue you from your waterless pit. He wants to restore. As the prophet Joel said, chapter 2, verse 25, I will restore to you the years. You know, sometimes it feels like it's been so long, you feel like change is impossible. But the Spirit of God through the prophet Joel says, I will restore to you the years. Do you feel like you've been dealing with certain things for years and you're just so worn down, beaten down by it? The Spirit of God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. God's restoration will take you from the prison to the palace. It's what he did for Joseph. And God has no favors. He is a God of the double portion. It's time to face your stronghold. It is. Right now, some of you may feel like you've been stuck. Some of you watching and worshiping online, maybe you feel like you've only gone so far, but there's certain things that just won't take their claws out of you. And you say, how come this just seems to be a lifestyle? Just when I think I'm past it, it happens again. Everybody's got a thing that they're dealing with. So maybe you feel beaten down. My word to you is, Face it. Well, I've looked at it before. I'm embarrassed to look at it again. Face the stronghold. Recognize it for what it is. You were not born that way. You don't have to stay that way. Recognize it. God does not want you to coexist whatever with whatever that thing or things are. He wants to show you the way out, but recognize it. It's not normal. God says it can be broken in your life. Once you recognize it, then repent. Repentance is, Lord, I've been so broken, so beaten down. 
I ask again. And the reason I say again is because there's many people who have said, Lord, I'm so sorry, time and time again. But this time, you're exposing the stronghold. Then repenting. Say, Lord, I repent. Cleanse me from this sin. Cleanse me from these attitudes, these issues that hold me captive, that make me vulnerable to all of these other coping skills that hold me captive. Repent of it. And after you repent, then release it. Don't say, Lord, I know one day I'll be free. If you face it, you repent of it, you'll be released from it. And begin to speak your thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Thank you. Even when you feel desires, temptations, the attitudes, the issues try to rise up and show their ugly face, just say, that's not me anymore. I'm free. I've been released from that wilderness pit. I'm free. God is restoring to me the years the locusts have eaten away. I've faced that giant just like David did Goliath. And I've not only struck it down, but I've cut off its head. That's why David cut the head of the giant off. Why? It wasn't enough to knock it down. If he cut off the head, you knew it was dead. If he had left it in that state, he'd have to fight that same battle all over again. And that's what some people have done in their walk with obedience and repentance. They've dealt with things to a point. But we've got to come to the place where we say, it's not enough just to knock the giant down. I've got to cut off its head. Release it. Release it in Jesus' name. It's time to get out of your wilderness pit. Satan's crafty. Sometimes he'll weave those attitudes, those issues, those opportunities to find peace in an alternative. And that's when we've just got to say, not today, not tomorrow. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Protect your heart. Protect your life. It's time for your double portion. Amen? Put it up on the screen. It's time for your double portion. Hallelujah. 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 Bring your unfulfilled expectations to this altar. What expectations have gone unmet? And now you're disappointed by people, maybe even by God. Bring those unfulfilled expectations to the altar. Bring your brokenness, your pain, your shame. Bring it to the altar. Let him take the shame Satan has tried to put on you. Jesus will remove it from your life. He bore our sin, our sickness, our shame. Bring all of the issues that you just haven't been able to conquer. Bring those issues that are unresolved and lay them at the altar. There is a double portion waiting for you. Amen? Let's all stand. Lift your hands towards heaven. I don't believe there's one person in this auditorium that does not want a double portion from Almighty God. I don't believe there's not any individual who's watching online that would say no to a double portion from Almighty God. 
It's possible. Return to the stronghold. Face the giant. Face the issues. Become a prisoner of hope. And watch the Lord move on your behalf. Lift your hands and say, Father, I say yes. I will return to the stronghold. Search my heart, O oh God. See if there's anything in my life that I need to surrender. I say yes. Make me a prisoner of hope. I ask for that double portion. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.